Brother Dave Shanuel, and uh, he's our longest tenured pastor here. Brother Dave, there's a photo I put on Facebook the other day. It's of a guy uh, who looks to be about 105, and he says he's age 22, and he says pastoring is not a stressful job at all. And uh, as a fellow pastor, no, you are not. Brother Dave Shanuel is going to be preaching for us. I'm going to pray for him in just a second, but we are grateful uh, to have him here with us. Uh, those batons are tricky, aren't they? There you go. They are tricky. But we are so grateful to have Dave with us. He has filled this pulpit many times. It's good to have you back, and I'm glad you're back. And so we're grateful to hear the word. If you want to take notes after I pray, inside the bulletin, I want to thank Ben Von Holsten. You got to say that with the uh, cool accent that comes. Ben makes this all look good for us, so thank you, Ben. Thank you. But uh, if you want to take notes, you can do that afterwards. But I just want to take a moment to pray for Dave and uh, pray that we'll receive the word well and uh, grateful for you all being here this morning. Will you bow your heads with me? And then I'll turn it over to Brother Dave. Thank you, brother. Lord, as we come to you, we just thank you so much for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your son, Jesus. And Lord, we come together for many things today. That is ultimate. We also come together to celebrate, to hear voices that have spoken and led well in the past. And Brother Dave is among many that have, but especially in the recent past. Bless our brother, giving a sermon, Lord, uh, as he will share, that is going to bless many people as, as we talk about the eyes of faith. Lord, we think about that blind man uh, who saw only the, the, the pixelated uh, images, the rods, as the old King James says, and he couldn't see everything clearly. But then you opened his eyes to see as he ought to see. By faith, Lord, will we see one day by faith clearly. But even now, we want to see where you're leading us and taking us. Thank you, Lord. Bless our brother. May your word just ooze out of him. Move him out of the way. Move us out of the way. May you speak through your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. It's all yours. Happy anniversary, Tower View. <laughs> I remember saying that 40 years ago, or 20 years ago, on our 40th anniversary. And I, how many of you helped plan that 40th anniversary? Raise your hand. We've got several. Yeah, there were some screaming going on during those days. So yeah. Yeah, in, in celebrating how this church started, we uh, rented a large tent, put it out there. Y'all remember that? It wasn't raining. It was beautiful. But I, I can remember, I believe it was Jerry Dewey that was one of those out there pushing in the muddy parking lot in those early days. And if I, I believe you had a wood-burning stove in the basement. I think his suit ended up in there. He never did wear it again. I think that was Jerry Dewey. But happy, happy anniversary. Where's Jeff? Where'd Jeff go? There he is. There he is. Jeff Jones, that one. I thought it was only one Jeff Jones. When I passed it here, Jeff was, he had my back. But I'm glad he wasn't behind me today while I preached because you never know with Jeff. <laughs> if you ever need a recipe for blackened chili, ask, ask Jeff and Ann. <laughs> I could stand here for hours and tell stories, most of them true, about that first, uh, that first decade of 2000. 
What a journey, what an adventure it was. Amen? How many of y'all were part of that journey during those 10 years? Yeah. It's good to see every one of you. I wish I could spend extended time today talking with you, but you have to listen to me extended time, so I'm sorry about that. On Saturday, September the 3rd, this month, I left Kansas City at 6 a.m., headed for Jeff City. My niece, Jenna, my nephew's daughter, my great niece, I guess, my nephew's daughter, Jenna, ran in her first high school cross-country meet. She's a freshman, and she ran with the varsity. I'll brag a little bit, finishing 14th out of over 60 runners. Now, on that screen, you'll see Jenna. Some of you will look at her and say, she looks familiar. Well, she is the daughter of Ben Schnipper. Oh, my gosh, listen to <laughs> I was going to tell some stories on Ben. That just took care of it right there. Well, to the, to the right of the screen is my oldest sister, Jan. Many of you have met lives in southern Illinois, my brother-in-law, Don, and Jenna, their grand, granddaughter. And, uh, well, Ben, he came to Midwestern Seminary, and during his two years plus, uh, he served as our youth pastor. And we watched the youth group just grow from seven or eight to into the 30s. It was just beautiful and enjoyable spending that, taking that journey with, with him, uh, he is serving. He, when he left here, he went to First Baptist Church, Mexico, uh, Missouri, where he served faithfully for nearly 12 years. And he moved down the street just a couple of years to Holt Summit Baptist Church, where he serves as a discipleship pastor. And uh, so I'll, I'll withhold telling stories on, on Ben. But Peggy, you nailed it right there. You, you told it right there. It was such an enjoyable morning uh, there at that cross-country meet for several reasons. Obviously, the family time. Um, the beautiful, the weather was just gorgeous. Uh, getting on the playground with Jenna's younger daughter, uh, sis uh, sisters, um, Addie and Sarah, and they are full of it. So Uncle Dave was down there going down the slide with them, swinging. But, of course, the competition is fun as well. And while watching the race prior to Jenna's race and Jenna's race, I, ob I observed something about myself and others that caused me to do some reflecting on my two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour drive back to Kansas City. What if we live life like we were at a cross-country meet? Think about that. What a wonderful life that would be. If we cheered for everyone, even if they aren't on our team. Wouldn't that be nice? If we cheered for the winner, as well as everyone who crossed the finish line, because they accomplished their goal. Hmm. Or if we pause long enough to understand that some people are running as hard as they can, but for some reasons that we are not privy to, 
every step in stride is difficult, but yet they, they're not quitting and they're not complaining. Our world of self-gratification and relativism, what a difference we would make if we lived like we were at a cross-country meet. Well, at the beginning of every race that morning, we heard the announcement, on your mark, get set, go. Originally, on your mark, get set, go was used in the 1800s to begin a foot race. The mark referred to the line where every runner would step to or the block that they launched from. I'd not heard that for a while, but at that meet, I heard it four different times. The phrase, on your mark, get set, go, always supersedes a new race, a new beginning. Through Christ and his atoning death on the cross and, praise God, his resurrection, we are offered a new beginning. Amen? When I was 20 years old, I came to realize by the grace of God that all the religious ritual and routine, my entire life would fall so short in comparison to what Jesus did for me. He lived a sinless life, a life I couldn't live. He died a sinner's death, a death I deserved. And by God's grace, I came to the point at 20 years of age to exchange any effort on my part and place my faith in him. And I called out to Christ to be not only my savior, but to be my Lord. It was a new beginning. And my life has never been the same. When you, when we dare to place our faith in Jesus, a new beginning awaits us. On May the 6th, 2001, I preached my first message from this platform. It was a new beginning for me. It was a new beginning for us. That first message I preached as your pastor was entitled, Beyond Every Step of Faith Lies a New Beginning. Now, you might ask, how do you remember that, Dave? We're going to have a generational gap here. <laughs> Some people are saying, what the, what is that? That's right, I still have some of these. I have a good memory. <laughs> Actually, how I ran into that, I, um, in fact, Darren, I realized when I began preparing for this Sunday, I, I don't journal like I used to, but I had a file every year of what I journaled, so I went, I was able to go back, and this was... This was, you know, I love it. I love it. So I have a good memory. But don't ask Darla whether I have a good memory. 
I want you to look with me in your Bibles. It'll be up on the screen, but you may want to look in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. This is the same passage that we looked at and we've reflected on on my first Sunday here at Tower View. If you have a pen, grab it and grab your notes. You're going to want to take some notes here, unless your memory is a lot better than mine. Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old. You are never too old to follow Christ. Yes, amen. <laughs> He was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. At that time, Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. On that Sunday that I preached that sermon, Tower View had been on a steady decline for years and was averaging 20 to 25 people. A few of you, as you saw, were present at that time. Some of you may recall that. But I'm going to remind you today what we talked about that this morning. But for the rest of you, I want you to hear and understand the foundation that God's people stood upon during our early days of revitalization. What was entailed in the new beginning and what was required. As Tower View began to move out into the community and take the love and the life and the hope of Jesus to this desperate and hungry community. I shared on my first Sunday this quote. My dream and desire for Tower View is this, that after today, it doesn't take a new pastor to start a new beginning, nor will it require a crisis, 
but that we will experience many new beginnings in the coming months and years. And how? By faith. So I want to share with you this morning two steps that characterizes a person or a church who walks by faith. This is what I shared with you 21 years ago. First of all, obedience to God's call. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, your father's house to the land, I will show you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. If you are not walking by faith in Jesus, if you're not continually in his word being transformed, and notice the word choice. I did not say in God's word to be informed. I have no question. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that Americans, American Protestant Christians here, know enough about the Bible that if they applied it, we would change our country. We would change our world. But if we're not continually in his word being transformed, if your walk with God has become bland and even routine, if your response to God is not regularly taking you out of your comfort zone, it is time to begin to walk by faith in obedience to God's call. And if you do, it will be the adventure of a lifetime. We are reminded in Genesis 12, and look at your notes here. When you walk by faith, your response to God will always correspond with his call. Real simple lesson here. Let me explain. In verse 1 of Genesis 12, God said to Abram, what? Go. In some of your translations, it says leave. The Hebrew word there is halak. In verse 4, we see Abram's response. He went as God had called him. He left the same word, halak. Abram's response was not maybe, or let me pray about this. Oh, God, you know I'll be more committed here in Haran. Or, God, I have never done this before. Abram did not question or look for answers. He trusted in the one who had all the answers. Listen, you do not have to have all the answers if you're following the one who does, that's faith. In your notes, obedience to God's call is not necessarily easy, but it is always best. Do you think it was easy for Abram to leave the country he was familiar with, had been in for 75 years, and enter into a strange land? But despite the discomfort, the uncertainty, and the difficulty, Abram followed God's call. Here again in your notes, like Abram, anytime you and I respond to God in faith, we will have to leave something behind. Let me say that one more time. 
Anytime you and I respond to God in faith, we will have to leave something behind. When you leave something behind in response to God, that is usually the mark of a new beginning. What are you willing to leave behind so that tower view could move forward? What are you willing to leave behind so that the kingdom of God can move forward? What are you willing to leave behind so the church God has called you to may move into a new land? Are you willing to leave something behind so you can move forward with God? As you contemplate this, I want you to remember this. Beyond every step of faith lies the opportunity for a new beginning. Too often we water down the term faith as if it is some arbitrary term such as, well, my faith is this or my faith is that. But scripturally speaking, it should be my faith is in, right? My faith is in God. It's not a static entity, but it's a dynamic that's what we discover as we follow the life of Abram. His faith was dynamic. Look with me in your notes. Dynamic is forward motion, static, having no motion. Dynamic is active, static, inactive. Dynamic is energetic as opposed to lethargic. Shouldn't, as we mature in Christ and continue to walk with him, we become more energetic and not less? The Webster's Dictionary, dynamic, characterized by continuous advancement and change, while static is defined causing to stand in one place. James chapter 2, verse 17. Even so, faith, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead. Faith without forward motion is static. I want to ask you a question. Why are we so quick to put our faith in objects, but we hesitate when it comes to putting our faith in God? I didn't see one of you this morning, when you got ready to sit down in your chair, you looked at, oh, I'm not going to take your purse, <laughs> Bethany, no way. I got to touch that purse. How many of you looked at this chair and said, you know, that's, it looks like about an inch. I don't know, is that enough to hold me? I'm not going down the scale, you know, thing. <laughs> Did you even question whether that chair would hold you? You just sat down. Or when you get in the car and you get on 435 and go 60 miles an hour, do you ever hesitate to say, I'm trusting in less than a half an inch of rubber? But yet, when you hear a call from God or you hear his word, and you hesitate. We hesitate to walk by faith and live in obedience to God's call. Another word about dynamic faith. 
and leaving something behind. Luke chapter 9, you'll see it in your notes, verse 23. If anyone, anyone will come after me, he must do what? Leave himself behind. Take up his cross and follow me. Abram left his country, his people, his family, except his wife and nephew, his comfort zone, his traditions, oh my gosh, and his routine. He left much behind to follow God's desire for his life. What did Jesus' disciples do, early disciples? What did they leave behind? Their nets, their livelihood. <clears throat> now hang on to this thought for just a moment. I want to back us up back to 2001. How many of you recall the commissioning service at First Baptist Church, North Kansas City in Towerdy? Again, not going by memory, but I do have a copy. <laughs> okay? Prior to coming to Tower View, I served the Lord at First Baptist Church, North Kansas City for 11 years. I served as the associate pastor and minister of Christian education. In the summer of 2000, God laid on the hearts of the First Baptist Church missions team, which I was a part of, to come alongside of a struggling, dying church in the Northland. Now get this. The following day, Monday, after that prayerful missions team meeting, I contacted Terry Lamberth, the director of mission of our association at that time. Only as God could orchestrate it, Terry was scheduled to meet here Monday night, and he invited me to come along. During that initial meeting, some of you expressed concern of whether you would be able to keep the doors open much longer. In fact, once things began to turn around, Betty Dewey, and we have her quote, it was in some of our 40th anniversary material, and she said this, our church has been on a decline so long, some thought there might come a time when we would have to shut the doors. Now we see things turning around. Praise the Lord, end quote. Amen, you're right. Betty, as well as several of you in this room, were a big part of the revitalization movement of God. And you, you know oh so well, you know to follow God by faith will re always require leaving some things behind. I can tell you, Betty had to leave some very special worship styles behind for us to begin to communicate the good news to this community. Oh, I've got many stories there. Many meetings, prayerful meetings with Betty and, and others. <laughs> Let me take you back to the latter half of the year 2000. After numerous meetings in the fall of 2000, the decision was made to form a partnership team made up of the members from both churches, 
to determine ways First Baptist Church could best assist Tower View. At that point, it was not even conceived that I would be leaving First Baptist and coming here. But as we prayed, God made that very clear. You might question the sanity, Darren, of a, of a minister who leaves a church of 600 and comes to a church of 20. But we don't want to be anywhere else than where God wants us. Amen? On May the 20th, 2001, after seven months of prayer and seeking God and his word for direction, both churches gathered together, First Baptist Church, North Kansas City, on a Sunday evening to formalize a partnership agreement. And this was the, the booklet that we made available. I'm not going to elaborate on the terms of that agreement this morning, except to say that during that commissioning service, Tower of You and First Baptist Church took a big step of faith. And because of those steps of faith, a new beginning was launched. My faith was inspired by, among others, the dynamic faith of eight adults and their families as they pulled up roots from First Baptist Church, North Kansas City, and planted their lives in a new country, even though it's just six miles away. It was a new country coming here. Jack Kimbrell, 23 and a half years, he pulled up those roots and planted his life here. Donna, 21 years. David and Kelly White, 22 years. Clyde and Ann Cothran, 10 years. In fact, pray for Clyde. He is really declining in health. George and Cherry Rawlings, seven years. And several months later, Nelson and his family. Let me remind you, when you give up something in response to God, you always receive so much more in return. And before you start getting a little edgy there, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. Not even close. The benefits of walking by faith in obedience to his word always outweighs playing it safe and comfortable. Always. Abram left his land, his family, his security, and the result, a great nation was born. He came to know God in ways he had never known him. He came to know God as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Abraham, the promise from God was, you will be blessed. Well, during that commissioning night at First Baptist Church, we said to the Kimbrels, the Whites, the Cothrans, and the Rawlings, and I quote, First Baptist missionaries, remember beyond every step of faith is the opportunity for a new beginning, and I believe a part of of that new beginning will be getting to know God in ways you have never known him before. I went on to say, as we continue to respond to God with dynamic faith, I see the day when Tower of You, as well as First Baptist Church, will be the mother of a multitude of new believers, the makers of many new disciples, the cultivators of a multitude of growing disciples and going disciples. 
Seeking God in prayer and his word and obedience to his call characterized the leadership and the members of this church throughout the first decade of 2000. Throughout 2001 to 2004, we, not me, we reached out into this community. It was through going door to door, asking individuals how we could pray for them that we met Jeff and Annie. Just last week, I was out and about, entered a conversation with, um, oh my goodness, think of it here, the retired fireman that lived in Gracemore, um, you have to help me with this, Leon. You know, you're not helping me any here, huh? <laughs> I, I came up with his name immediately then, but we met him going door to door. How could we pray? That day, his wife came to the door, said, you came at the right time. My husband is recovering from attempted suicide. Through that, he came to know Christ baptized here. She still has the, sorry, the VCR of that baptism and his testimony. A growing number of new believers, so much so we had to change our leadership structure. How many of you all remember, I've got several documents here, I'm not going to bore you with this. How many of y'all remember this structure? You better believe it. We had a no team. There was a staff member and a layperson over the no team. Bev, you were over that, weren't you? The grow team. There was a staff and a layperson over the grow team. There was a serve team. There was a staff member and a lay leader over that team and the share team. We had to make those adjustments in order to continue to disciple those new young believers coming in and grow them up in Christ. That took faith. We transitioned to hiring a youth pastor. I came on full time, step of faith. We transitioned to a biblical concept that every member is a minister. Every one of you have a gift to serve God. We never hit the 80% but we were at 79% of active attenders involved in ministry here. We transitioned the, tra the traditional Sunday school structure to a small group structure and a growing number of groups and homes because we just flat ran out of space here. In 2004, we took the step of faith to start a second service. We said goodbye to, and I actually survived this, Darren, to VBS, and we transitioned to a children and youth ministry every Wednesday night, averaging 80 to 100. By faith, we formed a partnership with Maplewood Elementary. Some of you are still youth friends there, aren't you, Mike? Some others? We had numerous people in that school often coming alongside, caring for teachers, supporting. We had teacher appreciation events where teachers would come here. All of these steps of faith. Later, adding a third worship service. 
Listen, church. Our purpose is to respond to God and follow his leadership. That will always lead you to take steps you have never taken before. Even conceived taking and most certainly will not take without faith. The first and immediate step that characterizes a church or a person who walks by faith is obedience to God called. And in case you're keeping an eye on your watch, the second point's going to go quickly, so stay with me. The second step that characterizes one who walks by faith is relying on the promises of God. God commands may not always be accompanied with reasons or explanations. He is Lord. He can say what he wants to say, right? But God always provides a promise. What was God's promise to Abram? Six times in three verses, verses one through three, God promised Abram what? I will. I will. God did not provide a map of Palestine and show Abram the whole journey or tell him in detail the purpose for the sojourn. But God did promise, I will show you the way. In other words, Abram, you don't need a map. I am the map. Stay close to me. Here's a side note. It's free of charge. And you may want to write this in your notes. You and I never have to wonder what God's purpose is for us or the church. Never. In Matthew 22, we find the what? The great commandment, which is to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is what? Love your neighbor. Clear cut. And what's another? Number two, not only the great commandment, but the great commission. That is our purpose. Not just for the church, but for every one of us who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That is the only command in the Great Commission, to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And here's the promise. And surely, I am with you. I will. If by faith you pursue this mandate. The new beginning for Tower View began in 2001 when we dared to respond by faith in obedience to God's call and commands. And we relied on his promises. A new beginning for you and I today will occur as we by faith live in obedience to his call and commands. And we rely on him and his promises. Let me, let me reflect on my journey in recent years. In 2007, I met with a very small group. We committed 
to hold each other accountable to grow in Christ. We met once a week for a full year. One of the promises we made to each other is when we got done with that journey, we would take two or three others with us. 2008, three groups meeting. One of the men who was in that very first group, Strad Brewer, as we prayed. In fact, Strad is here today. Strad, they may not see you in here. Raise your hand. Thank you. As we were praying, we sensed God saying this, lay the groundwork for 10,000 believers meeting weekly, making and multiplying disciples. Today, less than five years later, there are 250 plus believers meeting weekly in groups of three or four, making and multiplying disciples here in the Midwest. We are well, we're eight months ahead of projections to hit that 10,000. Folks, this is not about nickels and noses. This is about obeying God's command, even though it is daunting, seemingly overwhelming, and trusting him. And he takes care of the growth, right? We just have to continue to obey him. His word to us is the same as his word to Abram. I will show you the way. You don't need a map. Why? God is our map. Amen? But we must also teach others how to walk by faith and live in obedience to his call. And that is called what? Disciple making. In 1988, Seoul, Korea, the 4 by 100 relay team was poised to break the record. The first leg of the race, phenomenal. Second leg, exceptional. Third leg, they were ahead of the record. But as the baton was passed, Going into the fourth leg, the unthinkable happened. The baton was dropped. Their quest for gold, for record-breaking, was over. As the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy, he was urged not to drop the baton, but to pass it on. You see, the Apostle Paul always was thinking three and four generations ahead. You remember his words in 2 Timothy 4, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And Paul talked to young Timothy about entrusting to others, teaching others what I have taught you. Therefore, let's all of us live life like we're at a cross-country meet. It's time for you to pick up that baton of faith and begin to follow him.
It is past time for you, believers, to pass that baton. Never forget, a baton is not a trophy. It is to be passed on. I conclude this 60th anniversary message the same way I concluded my first message here at Tower View. Romans 10, 11, anyone who believes God shall not be put to shame. Anyone who walks by faith will not be disappointed. Tower View, if we walk by faith, not by tradition, not by comfort zone, not by logic, we will not be disappointed. If you place your trust in God, no matter what your circumstances, you will not be disappointed. As we look back at the past 60 years and celebrate, and then as we look forward to the next six decades, I challenge you today to stand at this threshold of a new beginning and dare to obey God's call by faith and to rely on his promises. And if you do, the adventure of a lifetime awaits you. Tower View Baptist Church, congratulations on 60 years of providing a heavenly view from this tower view. Darren. Thank you, brother. We're on. Thank you so much.